morning. Merry Christmas. A couple of housekeeping things before we get started today. Again, just a reminder, uh, next Sunday there's one service at 10 a.m. Uh, kids are in here. We're going to have some fun. It'll be great. Uh, we're excited about that. Also, um, one, one thing we want to let you know about how we're going to handle end-of-the-year giving stuff. Um, the way we're going to do this is everything that you give from tomorrow morning in the morning until the end of next Sunday night, December 31, New Year's Eve, uh, the, everything beyond the weekly need that we have here at Chapel Rock, we're going to give away. Just out the door, as soon as we can get the check written, it's gone, okay? And here's how that's going to go. 40% of that will go to the North American Christian Convention. It's here in Indianapolis this year, downtown. Uh, so the last, uh, I think last week in, July, in June, uh, kind of plan that. You know, we're going to ask you to help out with that, uh, like serve, you know, offering and be an usher and that kind of stuff later. Uh, you guys are familiar with that. 40% of whatever comes in beyond our weekly need goes to that. 30% goes to our daughter church, Journey Christian Church in Fairbanks, Alaska. They've had some unexpected expenses recently. We want to bless them here at the end of the year. 20% will go to Pioneer Bible Translators for a brand new work. Now, we regularly support them. Uh, Scott and Kathy Graves, uh, members here went and are serving there. But uh, as I, ha God has just been moving on my heart about how close we are to finishing the Great Commission. You know, what, what I tell you a few weeks ago, thirty million dollars and it's done. And so we want to do everything we can to help with that. And uh, and so we're going to give what twenty percent of that goes to Pioneer for a brand new work somewhere in the world with an unreached people group. And then ten percent of that will go to uh, the pastor of a small church, either to send him to a conference or get him a copy of Lagos Bible Software. Just want to bless them, and it's, it, that's been a blessing to me, both things, uh, and so we want to pass that along. So that's what's coming as far as your giving goes. Everything above and beyond what we need each week here at Chapel Rock, we're going to just get out the door as quick as we possibly can. So I want to encourage you and thank you for your generosity. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. Thank you for allowing us to be here uh, in peace and safety today. Um, many of our brothers and sisters around the world, Lord, who are being persecuted have to moderate their joy for fear of giving away what they're doing. And so uh, we ask you to make them strong for their trial. I pray that you'd help us leverage our freedom for the sake of the gospel and that uh, the community might know uh, the wholeness that they can have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Kids are naturally curious at Christmas time. It's just <laughs> the front row, the, the youth group laughs. Um, they are. They're just naturally curious at Christmas time. They, it, I think it's the way God made them. It, they're just wired up to do that. How many of you have kids or grandkids or siblings who shake presents? Right? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, or, you know, they're trying to figure out what it is. It makes me wonder why the Lego company doesn't pack their stuff in foam. Because it's a dead giveaway. Legos. Um, you know, the kids are curious and they, they, they peek and stuff. We've got a two-year-old boy in our house, so the presents didn't go under the tree till yesterday. <laughs> you know, next year we'll have a three-year-old boy and someone who's crawling. That'll be fun. Um, we'll have to guard those things. But kids are curious. And sometimes they're curious enough to develop all kinds of methods to peek into the presence. Watch. Hey guys, it's me, Jazzy, here. And today, I'm gonna show you how to peek at your Christmas presents. Peeking at Christmas presents is no joke. It is serious business. And I say that I am a true expert at it. I'm going to share you guys some tips. Let's get started. 
number one, make sure your parents are asleep or even out of the house. Now, my parents are really asleep right now. It's 3.30 a.m. <laughs> the first presents are for ones that have name tags on them. We peel off that name tag to peel off the wrapping paper below it. Now you can just try to peek at your Christmas present and just look. And then once you're done trying to figure out, put your name tag back on. No one will ever know. Now, step number two. These gifts are the ones that don't have any name tags on it. What you have to do is see right here where they meet, the wrapping paper meets. Yeah, all you have to do is gently peel off the tape. And then you can reveal your gift. Now, just gently rewrap it. No one will ever know. This next present are for gifts that are, well, hidden in boxes. I peek at my presents every single year and, well, I kind of feel guilty about it. And I tell my mom. So she gets extra, extra smart and boxes them, double wraps them. So I figured out a way. That doesn't stop me. What you have to do is you have to gently, gently peel off the tape. And that reveals the box. And all you have to do is poke a sharp object into it. As you can see, I poked one right here. So you can try to make the hole bigger and stuff. And then you can just try to peek at your gift. Once you are done looking at your gift through that tiny hole, go ahead and gently rewrap the top. No one will ever know. <laughs> This next one are for gifts that have bows. <laughs> now, all you have to do, you have to gently take off the bow and then dig a hole in the wrapping paper so you can see. After that, go ahead and re-put on the bow. No one will ever know. <laughs> so, yeah. If your kids saw that, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm really sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, I'll help pay for the counseling. Um, at Christmas time, kids are curious. It's their nature. It's just it's the way they are. And, and even grown-ups, too. We get curious at Christmas time. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. I want to thank you for being here today. If, if it's your first time at Chapel Rock, thanks for coming. I'd love to meet you when you're done. I'll be right down front. Please come down and say hi. I just want to greet you personally and thank you for being here. If you're joining us online, thanks for logging in from wherever you are. If you're local, we'd love to have you visit us on site. Uh, if the, the weather is, is keeping you home, we're just glad you're part of, of the group this morning. Uh, if you would fill out your online connection card, just click in the upper right-hand part of your screen and let us know how many people are watching there with you. So we're, we're going to continue and conclude our sermon series today 
way through the first couple chapters of Matthew's gospel. We've been looking at, at Matthew 1 and 2 over the last few weeks as Matthew tells the Christmas story, each week focusing a little bit more on how God changed the world one starry night in Bethlehem so long ago. In our text for today, we're going to look at how the star of Christmas guided the wise men or the magi, the kings as the old song says, to Joseph and Mary's house in Bethlehem and ultimately what that means for us. What we need to do though before we jump into our, our passage is really look at a couple of verses to give us some context. So look with me at Matthew chapter 2 starting in verse 1. We need to get some, some background here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, and now, now in the original text, that's the word. In the Greek text, it's magi. It, it means wise men. Um, probably they were not kings, as the song says, uh, but these guys are advisors to a king. They are astrologers. Uh, and astronomers, both. I mean, it, it, they were kind of, they did both. They, they read the signs of the times. They tried to understand what was going on in the world around them so that they could advise the king. These magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. Now that's an important phrase. The word translated rose there can also be translated east or dawning. This idea that it's the place where the sun rises, it's, it's that idea. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. If you've got an older translation, it may say, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him, okay? Now skip down to verse 7, they're talking with Herod. He called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He's lying through his teeth. He's not, he's going to try to kill the kid, okay, and we'll read, that's the end of chapter 2, but we start in verse 9, here's our actual text for the day, after they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, same word as verse 2, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, now that's the way the English translation has it. I think they maybe could have done a little more because literally what that text says is they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I mean, these guys were over the moon. Just, yes, we found him. Now, if, they, if we understand this right, they've been on a two-year journey to this place. How would you feel if you were doing holiday travel for two years and finally got there? Woo! Okay, so that's the way they, they, are, they are so happy right now. Verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Now remember, this, a, a year and a half, two years has passed since Jesus was born. He's like two. Some of you have seen my little boy Ezra. Can you imagine bowing down and worshiping that kid? Um, that's where Jesus is at this age, okay? Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, which was a res, res, uh, uh, aromatic resin from Arabia, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Our actual text for today is just four verses. But these four verses that describe one starry night in Bethlehem raise so many questions. It makes us curious about Christmas. I mean, kids are curious at Christmas. So are adults when we read this story. And so let's just talk about that. Let's just engage some of these questions that make us curious about Christmas. First of all, 
Why was there a star? Why that? Why didn't God send him an angel? I mean, he, we, we read later he, sends him a, he gives him a dream. That's how they're warned to not go back the way they came, go back through Jerusalem. Why does he use a star? Well, these guys are astronomers slash astrologers, wise men. It was their job. <laughs> he used a star to get their attention. That's what they were paying attention to. That's what they were watching. And God is still doing that. He's still using the things in people's lives to get their attention. And sometimes when stuff happens to you and you don't get what's going on, it's actually God trying to get your attention. This is what they're paying attention to. He used a star because they were watching the stars. That's why they're already paying attention to it, so that's why he uses that. They also would have understood that in their world, a star, a natural thing, was also seen to be a symbolic thing. It had some symbolism attached to it. We'll talk about that. Well, who are these guys? All right. Probably they're not actual kings, like the old Carol says, we three kings. Uh, they're wise men. They're astrologers and astronomers. There's a difference between the two. Astrologers, horoscope, horoscope, astrologer is the guy who works at NASA. Okay. Um, and they were, they were some of both. They, they did both. <laughs> it's likely that these guys are advisors to a king far off in the east, um, And without question, they are important, they are impressive, they're powerful, and they're wealthy. There's there's no question. Here's the thing. They went into the capital city of of the kingdom, of Jerusalem, and made a splash, right? They made a big impression. Whoa, whoa, look at these guys. Whoa. Can you imagine how that would have translated into sleepy little Bethlehem? My first ministry was in a town of 400 people. Okay, very first church I ever served, town of 400 people. You know, you could pretty much pick anybody out of town we've met. There's just not that many. Bethlehem in the time of Jesus was five or six miles away from Jerusalem. It's now, today, having been there recently, it's all kind of one big metropolitan area. Back then there was some space between them. And Bethlehem was a sleepy little suburb of Jerusalem. So these guys show up in this small town, and it wasn't just three there were more, because even if there were four or five of the wise men, they've got, you've got their servants, and their butler, and their valet, and their porter who carries the stuff, and the guy who wrangles the animals, and there's a bunch of people. Bethlehem's population might have doubled overnight when these guys showed up. There's a bunch of them, okay? All right. Now, here's the other thing. This is a big deal in Bethlehem, but so you go, well, well, why did they bother to make the trip? Well, let's talk about what this star was. What was this star? Some people think it was a planetary convergence. There's some scientific evidence for that. Other people think that it happened, I think, like 6 or 7 BC. Um, you realize our account of time didn't exactly correspond to Jesus' actual birth. Others think it was a supernova that happened around then. There's some scientific evidence for that. Um... Here's what I know. The text calls it a star. So I'm going to go with star. (laughs) Here's why I say that. These guys are professionals. This is what they do. It's their job. They thought it was a star. I'm going to trust them on it. They know, right? It's what they do. It says it's a star. So, okay, it's a star. Here's why it caught their attention. Look back at verse 2. It says, We saw his star when it rose. 
Now, in older versions, that's been translated in the east. But what it means is we saw his star when we were in the east. We were there and we saw it rise here, west of where we were. What's that mean? It rose in the western sky. Stars don't do that. <laughs> like, what? We, what? We got to go figure this out. This is different. This is not, a king must have been born for, for that symbol to appear in the heavens. And here's the star and it's a brand new star in the sky and it's brighter than everything else. We got to go see what this is. So how far east were they? Where are they from? We don't know exactly. Some scholars think it would be ancient Persia, modern day, uh, kind of northern uh, Iraq, Iran area. Um, that makes sense, historically speaking. Uh, the, you know, the Jews were in exile for 70 years in Babylon, same area. Um, and that was only 400 years earlier. So it's possible that these men could have encountered some of those ancient Jewish texts. There would have been copies of the, the Torah, the Jewish law there in their place. They would have studied those things as wise, learned men. They would have known that. But it really doesn't say because the word translated east just means rising or dawning. It could have been way further east. The Indian subcontinent, they had wise men. China, they had wise men. Same kind of dude, same kind of job. It's possible, I don't know if it's likely, but it's possible that these people were from all the way in the far east and had come and journeyed over two years to see Jesus. That's why Herod later in the chapter will say, take all the boys two and under, kill them. I, you, know, you can make the journey from Arabia to Bethlehem in like less than nine months back then. So the timeline, I think they, personally, I believe they were from a little further east these people may not have had any contact with the Jewish law. They just know this is where the Jews live. There's the star. A king must have been born. Where's the king of the Jews, they say to Herod. And so they make this, this trip. God is bringing these pagan Gentiles to the cradle of his son. So that raises the question, well, how did they know the exact house? How did they? Well, the star moved. I don't know how that works. God, I think, took a natural thing and supernaturally acted upon it. And the light, it was like a spotlight, and maybe there, but Bethlehem's also really small. It's a little town. Everywhere looks like it's right under the star. <laughs> the whole thing is under the star. Here's the deal Luke tells us that the shepherds that Lily read about earlier came back night after night after night. It's a little town. How many of you have ever been to a small town? Everybody knows your business. <laughs> all they got, ask one person. Oh, that's all you got to do. Hey, uh, like two years ago, was there a baby that was born? All of a sudden, a star popped up that night. Yeah, yeah, that's Joseph and Mary's kid, the, you know, the Davidson family. Think about it. <laughs> Word gets around. So that raises, they, they come in, they, they bow at the feet of this little kid. Worship him. They present gifts. Well, did the gifts mean anything? Yes, they did. But there are two layers of meaning. There are two layers. This is a double layer kind of thing. Okay, first of all, these gifts are expensive, which means they're valuable, which makes them practical. Here's what I mean by that. In just a few short verses, Joseph is going to have a dream where God tells him, go, you got to get out of here. Herod is going to search for the child. You need to run to Egypt. And this also fulfills prophecy. <laughs> Go to Egypt, get out of here. So 
He's got to pack up all his stuff in the middle of the night and go. So, but now, instead of having, a, a, he doesn't have time, he's got money. And so, okay, great. We grab the stuff and off we go. <laughs> and, and, they, and they head off to Egypt. Obviously, gold has some value. Frankincense was expensive. It was hard to find. It took a long time to get myrrh, uh, uh, this, this um, lotion, basically. Very, very expensive stuff. It has value. And here's what the wise men meant by giving those gifts. It's valuable. You are somebody important. These are gifts worthy of a king here. And that's all they meant by it. That's all they meant. There's no more symbolism behind what they're doing other than these are gifts worthy of a king. Here you go, king. Here you go, baby king. But I wonder if Mary, looking back on it years later, saw some symbolic importance in these gifts. I wonder if Matthew... 30 years later as he's writing his gospel, 40, 50 years later as he's writing his gospel, goes, yeah, you've got gold. Gold is the gift of a king. Kings have gold. Kings wear gold on their head. You've got this king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the prince of peace. Yes, he's worthy of gold. You have frankincense. That was this aromatic resin that was used to, it, they turned it into incense. It was used in the worship in the temple. It's got a priestly connection. And then you've got myrrh. Myrrh was an aloe or a lotion that you would put on a dead body to keep it from stinking. Somewhat prophetic there, isn't it? Looking forward to who Jesus would be for us when he died on the cross in our place for our sins. <laughs> Do you see what's going on? You've got gold representing a king. You've got frankincense representing the priest. You've got this myrrh that is prophetic. You've got prophet, priest, and king. So does the, do the gifts have meaning? Yeah, but the wise men didn't have all that in mind. That's what it means to us now looking back on it. But we come back to this question, why a star? I mean, I know it's got their attention, but why that? I mean, an angel would have done it too. God used fire on the mountain. He used that. That gets your attention pretty quick. You know, burning bush, Moses. Okay, I got it, you know. Why a star? In the text, the star is a real star, I think, but it represents nature. God will use nature itself to point people to Jesus. That's, that's the big idea this morning, that God loves you so much that he permanently entered into nature, his creation, in the person of Jesus. The star is a symbol to teach us that God loves us so much that he was willing to enter into his creation. He was willing to enter into it, and he did it in the person of Jesus so that he could draw you into relationship with him. Madeline Lingle, the author of the classic book, A Wrinkle in Time, wrote this, The virgin birth is far less mind-boggling than the power of all creation stooping so low as to become one of us. Do you understand that God entered nature so that he could change your nature? The second person of the triune Godhead, God the Son, because he loves you, willingly trapped himself in human form for the rest of eternity because he wants a relationship with you. Before the incarnation, before the God the Son was born as Jesus of Nazareth, he, he 
existed in all glory with the Father in eternity. He appeared, I think, as when you read sometimes in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. I think that's Jesus before he was incarnate. And then on this starry night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, because he loves you, God willingly trapped himself in human form. He will, God the Son will be Jesus of Nazareth for eternity. God limited himself. He entered into his creation. He entered into nature so that he could use nature to point you back to him. That's how much he loves you. That's what Christmas means. And so beyond making us get down on our knees every day in gratitude to God, I think there are two things we need to see in this. First of all is this, that we can follow where he leads. We can follow where he leads. The wise men followed the star to Jesus without really even fully understanding what it meant. They were willing to follow God's pull on them through the natural revelation of the star to honor the birth of the king of kings by their presence and their presence. And in the same way, God is leading us. He uses nature and the created order to point people to Jesus. John Polkinghorne, who is a theoretical physicist and a pastor, claims that there are equa- the equations that guide physics point to a creator. This is what Polkinghorne writes. Physicists are deeply impressed with the order of the world. It is rationally beautiful and structured, and the feeling that there's a mind behind it is a very natural feeling to have. I think the feeling of wonder, which is fundamental to the experience of physicists, is fundamentally a religious experience, whether people recognize it or not. His point is what the theologians call natural revelation, that God has revealed himself in creation so that it will lead us to the cross. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Look at this. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, creation, so that people are without excuse. God used uh, nature itself to point these pagan Gentile magi to the cradle of Jesus. I want you to think about this. Matthew's gospel begins with representatives from the world coming to worship Jesus. And Matthew's gospel ends with representatives of Jesus going out to witness to the world. How's that for bookends on your story? See, here's the thing. The Christmas star is still shining today. Do you know how I know that? Because I'm looking at it. It's sitting in your seat. He's like, there's somebody in my seat. Yes, it's you. You are the star of Christmas today. You are the star of Christmas. If you follow Jesus to the cradle, then you can follow him to the cross. And if you follow him to the cross, you can follow him to the ends of the earth because he is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Can people use your life like the star to navigate their lives to Jesus? See, when God enters nature to point people to Jesus, that also tells us something really important. It means that we can give what he gifts. We can give what he gifts. 
God's generosity is seen nowhere better than in the gift of his son. Probably the most well-known Bible verse that there is says this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. But God did not give us Jesus so that we could be like the people on hoarders. You know, where we grab Jesus and we stick him in a dark hallway and he's kind of moldering in a corner until our still pseudo-Christian culture says, hey, pull him out twice a year. That's not why God gave us Jesus. Jesus is meant to be shared. He's meant to be re-gifted. Have you heard the term? It originated on an episode of Seinfeld. Regifting is when you give someone else a gift that was given to you as a gift. Don't raise your hands. How many of you have done that? <laughs> and generally, regifting is considered to be bad manners, with one theologically ginormous exception Jesus. God gave you Jesus, and He expects you to pass it on. God gave you His Son at Christmas. And he expects you to re-gift Jesus. God has given you a treasure. Share it, like the wise men did with their treasures. Be a re-gifter of Jesus. Our Savior is worth way more than just trinkets under the tree. And the act of giving away Jesus himself changes us to be more like him. Mike and Jane's Christmas tree was like most normal Christmas trees with one notable exception. High up in the tree, right in the middle, was a plain white envelope, unmarked, unsealed. And every year, for about 10 years, that envelope appeared in the tree on Christmas Eve. Here's how that story started. Mike and Jane were good Christian people, uh, always looked forward to the holidays, like many of you, but Mike hated Christmas. No, not the religious celebration. He loved Jesus. He was a Christian. What he hated was the over-commercialization of it and the, you know, the whole thing where we, we, we buy gifts that we don't need for people that we don't like with money we don't have. And He hated that. It drove him nuts, this rampant overspending and people's being busy and not having time for the Lord, and he didn't like it. So when his family said, Dad, what do you want? Nothing. I don't want anything. Don't give me anything at all. But his wife was just like, ah. I want to do something. So she was praying about what to, what to get her husband for Christmas. Their son, Kevin, was a wrestler. And part of his school team was on the wrestling team, and they had a, had a holiday time tournament. And so they, they went to this tournament. It was an interleague thing, not for part of their, their rankings in the standings, but uh, they went to this tournament, and it was them and, and their, you know, all their spiffy gold and blue uniforms and sparkling new shoes and the headgear and the pad, all that stuff. Versus this team that was sponsored by an inner city church. And these kids had ragged, secondhand, hand-me-down uniforms. And their shoes, the only thing holding them on was the laces. If you would have untied it, they would have fallen apart. They didn't even have the right headgear, but man, they were spunky. And they went in there and they gave it their all. And they did, they worked hard, they competed at their best. At the end of the day, every single one of them got beat. And Mike said to Jane, he said, I just wish one of them would have won. I mean, they didn't even have the right gear. You know, because I, I mean, our kids, without question, they're better equipped, better trained, better prepared for this match. But I just wish there was something we could do for these kids. Now she knows. So that night they went home. She went to a local sporting goods, this is a couple days before Christmas, local sporting goods supply place. 
and said, hey, I want to buy all the wrestling gear you've got that just hadn't sold. Just whatever it is. Give, cut me a deal because we're going to give it to this inner city wrestling league. Great. Oh, yeah, we'd love to help you out like that. So they, they gave her a screaming deal on it. She went and, and donated it and just on a plain white piece of paper wrote a note to her husband. This is what I did for you. This is your Christmas gift. Just put it in the envelope, stuck it in the tree. Christmas morning, they get up. They do all the presents. Mike, quite happy to watch his kids get gifts. He's fine with it. Until they say, now, honey, I do, I do have, she, Jane says, I do have one for you. He said, now, dear, I told you. She said, just hush. <laughs> See that envelope? Open it. So he stands up and goes over the tree and takes the envelope out and opens it up. <laughs> and all of a sudden, his face got brighter than the tree. And the kids were just blown away. Oh, that's awesome. He was so happy. Thank you, honey. That's what Christmas is all about. That's wonderful. That's the perfect gift. Thank you. So the next Christmas, the envelope was back. And on Christmas Eve, the kids saw that the envelope was in the tree. Oh, right, the envelope is back. And they, Oh, it became, for 10 years, it became the last thing that they would open on Sunday morning. <laughs> or on Christmas morning. It happens to be, a, you know, Sunday last year. Saturday this year. They, they take it out and they, they would, oh, this is what, and, and it was different every year. <laughs> One year in their community, there was a, a pair of elderly brothers that shared a home together. And a couple weeks before the holidays, their home burned down. And so she went out and, and bought a bunch of stuff for them and just made a cash donation just here. Another year, there were two uh, mentally handicapped girls in the same family, and, and the mom provided a, a getaway for the parents just to get away and kind of collect themselves. And, 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 and then the girls were having fun, like at a Disney thing. It was just awesome. And every year, the envelope became the highlight of their Christmas for a decade. The kids got older. They grew up, the gifts under the tree changed in tone and nature and price. But the envelope stayed the same. The gift was different every year, but it became the highlight of Christmas morning. At least for a decade. Jane and her kids lost Mike to cancer. When Christmas rolled around, she was so wrapped up in her grief that she barely got the tree up but she'd already bought the gift. So on Christmas Eve, as always, she placed the white envelope in the tree. Her kids were with her. They'd come home for Christmas. The next morning, Jane got up and went to the tree and saw three more white envelopes. Each of the kids had gone out and got a gift in honor of their dad and stuck it in the tree. And so that morning, while there was grief, there was also joy. And some of you are here today, and this is going to be your first Christmas without somebody special. And you need to know that you have a place in this Christmas story too. You see, it turns dark pretty quick, doesn't it? The text says there was weeping in Bethlehem a few days after Joseph and Mary left. There's a note of grief in this passage. And you need to know that God has not forgotten you this Christmas. And while there may be grief, there is also still joy in the birth of this Christ child. Each of Mike and Jane's kids had passed on the tradition. So every morning when they, Christmas morning when they get up, 
This tradition is expanding, and one day, each of their three kids will have three little ones around them, and they'll go, Dad, what's in the envelope? And they'll reach up, and they'll pull it out and say, Oh, look at this. This is so great. And they'll stand there with wide-eyed anticipation and watch their fathers reach up and pull out an envelope that's filled with love and hope and peace and joy. God gave us himself. He poured himself into nature so that it would point us back to Jesus. He loves you and he wants you to share that with somebody else this Christmas. It was 135 years ago this morning, December 24, 1882. Charles Haddon Spurgeon stood in the pulpit of Metropolitan Tabernacle in London and spoke to a standing room only crowd. Here's what he said. See, dear friends, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, even in his state of humiliation. He is born of lowly parents, laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling bands. But lo, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places are in commotion. First one angel descends to proclaim the advent of the newborn king. Then he is joined by a multitude of the heavenly host singing glory to God. Nor was this commotion confined to the spirits above. For in the heavens which overhang this earth, there is a stir. A star is deputed on behalf of all the stars, as if he were the envoy and plenipotentiary of all worlds to represent them before their king. This star is put into commission to wait upon the Lord, to be his herald to men afar off, his usher to conduct them to his presence, and his bodyguard to sentinel his cradle. They call that guy the Prince of Preachers for a reason. And I would be so bold as to add, in the fullness of time, our Creator kindled a star in the night sky to guide these pagan magi to the feet of His only begotten Son, to honor Him as King and worship Him as Lord. And so the challenge to us today is this. Will you enter the darkness and brokenness of people's lives and be a light that points them to Jesus? Can people use your life like a star to navigate to Jesus? God, use creation itself to do that. Will you let him use you? You've got an opportunity to respond to this today. Did you hear me? God loves you so much that he permanently entered into nature, his creation, in Jesus to draw all mankind to himself. Will you come today? In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And if you've never responded to the offer of salvation in Jesus to make him Savior and Lord, to say that that baby that was born so long ago in Bethlehem, who died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose again on the third day, wants to give you new life this morning. If you've never received that, you have that opportunity. You can come to the front and confess him as Lord. We've already had one do that in the earlier service. Maybe today's your day. Maybe you need to have a conversation with someone. There'll be a, someone in the next step room to have that conversation with you. Maybe you're here today and this is going to be your first Christmas without somebody special. And you could just use someone to pray with you. We'll have our decision counselors down front. They're happy to do that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to sing together today. You respond as God leads you.